Welcome to the podcast of Inspiring Women in Hospitality. I'm Noreen Ahmed, your host. Each episode, I invite a woman from the hospitality industry to share her story with us, why she got into hospitality, her journey so far, her learnings, and who inspires her. On this episode, we hear from Samantha, recorded in March 2023. Originally from the U.S., she has spent her entire working career in Asia, moving from operation, events, loyalty, and now education. All right, we're now recording. Hello, everyone. Noreen here. Today, I have with me Samantha. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Noreen. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So my name is Samantha. I'm currently the head of student engagement here at the Asian Institute of Hospitality Management in academic association with La Roche. We're based in Bangkok, Thailand. So I actually came to Thailand in 2009 as an intern. And I spent over a decade in the hospitality industry in various roles um, in operations and in sales functions. And my life has come full circle, allowing me to be here at this university that's been founded by our owning company, Minor Hotels, to now support interns through their journey and their career as they progress into the workplace. It always does surprise me how more, you know, more of these large hotel companies don't have hotel like education institutions like I would have thought every one of them would but they seemingly don't so it's great to hear that Minor has done this. <laughs> Thank you so much yes a lot of hotel companies have really robust learning and development plans mm-hmm. um, but we wanted to take it a step farther to really to support um, you know the the educational system here in Thailand by offering uh, this BBA in global hospitality management we're so excited to be here. Amazing. Um, All right, so let's start at the beginning, and I will ask you why hospitality. So hospitality for me is something that I kind of fell into. So I joined my university, Temple University, um, as an undeclared business major. And when I was spending the afternoon with one of my best friends, his roommate had a textbook on his bed that was tourism hospitality management. So I just picked it up, leafing through it. And as I was reading it, I was like, wait, this is business, but with people. And I had never considered tourism before, even though I'd worked in restaurants um, as part-time jobs throughout my my upbringing. So when I found this and I linked with it, it really uh, gave me this this sense of like wanting to create something and build something, connect with people, um, but also be able to be so creative in such a variety of different ways. And of course, travel. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was my goal to to be able to love in a in live in a place that is beautiful um, and outside of my hometown of Philadelphia. And was uh, Bangkok where you came to first right after you graduated? So I actually, I came to Bangkok for just one night. So when I left America in 2009 for my internship, that was the first time I ever left the States. Wow. So I came, I was in Bangkok for one night. My uncle uh, who lives here, he took me to two of the most iconic hotels, the Mandarin Oriental and the Peninsula. Um, I was here in Bangkok for less than 24 hours before I went to the island of Koh Samui in the south of Thailand, ah. where I did my internship for three months with the Anantara Boput team. And I was uh, there in a management training capacity, but within a week, uh, they saw that I love talking to people and they made me the concierge, which was so much nice. fun. And then what, you just stayed and never left? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, I was actually, I was there for three months, um, then spent a bit of time traveling around Thailand and Southeast Asia. And then I headed back to America to finish my degree. So mm. I still had one year left uh, before I could graduate. And when I stepped foot back into America, immediately I wanted to come back to Thailand. So finished my studies and then, and then made it back here. But I was then positioned um, in a role in the Maldives. Okay. So it took another 18 months before me after that to get back to Thailand. So what's um, island life like? I mean, I guess Koh Samui is also an island, isn't it? Yes. So Koh Samui is an island, but it's a lot bigger. In the Maldives, you can walk around the island that I was based in, Anantarakihava, in 15 minutes. I could wow. swim around the island in about 45 so there was no stone left unturned. I knew every single part of that, that place. And I was there during the pre-opening. So that was such a magical uh, mm. experience because I arrived on the same day as the first underwater wine cellar in the world. Wow. Um, and I actually watched them sink it and, and watched it build, uh, be built the entire thing. That was so memorable. I'd encourage any student who has a chance to do something in a pre-opening capacity to absolutely take that opportunity. It's once in a lifetime. Yeah, that's something I never ended up doing um, during my career. I should have done it for sure. But I, like I moved after I graduated, I just moved to London because I just said yes to the first job um, in a management trainee position. But yeah, in hindsight, I think I should have put a little bit more thought into my career. I just I don't know why at that moment when I was I was what, 24, maybe just about to turn 25. I still mm -hmm. didn't really know what I want to do, where I want to go. I didn't really think with much foresight as to what is good for my career. Um, so I just said yes to whoever gave me the first job. Um, but yeah, and so I should definitely have spent a little bit more thinking about what is actually going to be good for my career long term. So I wish I had found a pre-opening uh, instead. Actually, it's, it's quite normal, um, as you mentioned. So students often don't know where they want to go and they they often will think okay i got to take the first thing because that's that's what that's what's in front of me um and yeah. that's great and i i love uh that enthusiasm but i work with the students to kind of take a step back okay so if you were to take this decision how is it going to play out five steps down the line and if you're to take this other decision how's that going to unfold but i i think above all that you know there's no wrong moves in your life uh, that all lead you to where you're supposed to be in the end that is true. I keep trying to remind myself of that. <laughs> but it's great that you spend that time with the students to kind of give them that perspective because you can't, you just don't see that further out when you're in that moment in time. So when you have someone from the outside kind of giving you that perspective, it's absolutely great. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll probably talk about this a little bit later or, or what I'm trying to do as well is just like build that community or support where women can find that time or the, mm -hmm community that they can reach out to, to ask those questions if they're not getting the support that they're needing, that they need within their own sort of network as well. Um, I think that's a really important thing. That, that's, that's one of yeah. the reasons that I'm very drawn to, to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really important and necessary and I wish you great success in that. Thank you so much. Uh, so after the Maldives, so you did the 18 months there with the pre-opening, um, did you stay till opening? Yes. So yeah. actually, I had a choice. Um, we opened in February 2011. And I had a choice, uh, which was stay and watch the hotel open that I've been with for the last six months, or go back home to walk across the stage and receive the diploma from my dean. 
Um, and it was a tough decision, but I actually decided to stay and mm. open the hotel. Um, and that was for me the best choice because I really wanted to be there with, with my team in, yeah. in that, in that moment. Yeah. I mean, in all, in all honesty, I can't remember anyone ever asking to see my diploma in any <laughs> capacity since I first got it. <laughs> True. <laughs> when I graduated, like no one ever asked to see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after the Maldives, what did you do next? So after the Maldives, I really wanted to come back to Thailand. So after 18 months, I started reaching out to my network uh, and I reestablished contact with those that I was working with in Bangkok for a short stint before I came to, uh, to the Maldives. And I said, is there anything that you would consider me for? And they said, why don't you join uh, this charity event that we run every year that supports uh, elephants? I said, okay, well, I've, I've never done this before, so sure, I'll come. And I did that for eight months. So this was event planning to the extreme. Uh, we had sponsors, uh, 16, 16 different teams uh, that were joining from all around the world. Um, and I was uh, on the ground supporting them, you know, with uh, the development of their polo shirts and their all of the, the posters that they were going to have around and sourcing the vendors. So because what I studied was tourism hospitality with a concentration on destination and event management, I really got to use what I mm -hmm. studied in university in that, in that capacity. And honestly, for anyone who loves something that's high, high paced and, and, you know, just really creative events is an amazing choice. Uh, so I got to do that for eight months. And then afterwards I transitioned to join the loyalty team. They were relaunching the discovery loyalty program. And uh, I, said that I could help with that. And then I joined the corporate office and I was there in that role for nearly seven years. And who was this with? So this is still with minor. So I've been with still minor for 13 oh, wow. years. Oh, yes. Wow. But I've held so many different roles and, and my, my capacity of my, my scope of responsibilities has changed so much and continuously that I found such uh, fulfillment here within mm. this organization. So when I joined the team in loyalty, there was uh, just me and, and our director. And they said, you can bring more people on once you start to see that the loyalty program is, is producing revenue. Uh, so by the end, we had nine people in our team. And all of the people that I hired uh, were students that just graduated and they entered into our organization at an intern capacity. And I trained them into full-time employees. And then they stayed for, you know, each of them stayed at a different length of time, but then they were able to then branch out into other industries. So for me, uh, supporting the development of students around the, between 17 and 25, that, that's the age group that I really like to develop mm -hmm. and to help them with their professionalism, how they communicate, how they plan, they manage their time. Uh, so honestly, being where I am now at AIM is, is exactly uh, matching my desires and, and my interests. Absolutely. Sounds really, yeah, like that perfect match in many ways. Yes. <laughs> um, so going back to um, the loyalty um, role that you had and you said you had to, you know, make revenue out of it and, you know, it was obviously a, a new role for you. Tell us a little bit about that journey and how you were able to prove that and obviously then be able to hire um, a larger team. Uh, that's a great question. So I'm very big on establishing processes and bringing people on board to facilitate 
the continued expansion of what we're doing. So uh, together with our director, I, I put in place different processes to track the performance of the hotels. So the hotels will have to enroll a certain number of people. Um, and then if they are to achieve uh, the, the targets and exceed them, they could be up for an award that Discovery Program uh, gives to the high performing hotels in terms of enrollment. Um, so it was, it was within that and through the cross-sell revenue uh, that we would generate by sharing uh, guests that would enroll at either our hotels at that time, Anantara and Avani, would go to stay at a neighboring hotel like Kempinski or Lungarno, then we would earn cross-sell revenue through that relationship. So it's essentially, we are a group of hotels uh, that are smaller and together we are stronger and we share our our marketing efforts through that platform so we're able to to reach guests in a, in a larger way. Wow, that's great. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about that in, in the way that you can then work with your, I guess, competitors as well in a way to, and I love that saying that you say together we're stronger, right? It's so much better when we all work together in a more collaborative environment, because in the end of the day, it benefits the guests, right? No matter, you yes. know, who it's going to and what it's going to as well. Absolutely. I'm all about building bridges. Um, and that's what I did so much within my role in, in loyalty is, is building bridges between the corporate office and the hotels and also with the, the yeah. sister hotels that are part of that platform. And then here, what I'm doing with, with AIM um, is to work towards having Thailand become known as a great additional choice next to Switzerland for hospitality education. And there's a lot of fantastic schools um, here that offer this kind of curriculum. And together with these different universities, we're working towards uh, you know, making this, this a location for students to come to learn hospitality and to bring tourism back to the world even bigger than before the pandemic. You know, it's funny. I honestly don't know how Switzerland got their reputation for being the best place for hospitality. Because if you think about actually the service that you get in hotels or restaurants, it's only eh, average at best of times. Uh, but when you come to Thailand, I mean, for me personally, I feel like Thailand is, is when I think about hospitality, that's where I go to. That's what I picture when I think about hospitality and the kind of service and you know the welcoming feeling that you get I think it's really optimized in Thailand right and maybe I'm biased you know I was born there so it's always going to be a very you know special place for me and we've always been a, as a family we've always spent a lot of time there so but yeah that's what I always used to think about and I think it was in Thailand where I had my first sort of like you know what I think I'm going to work in hospitality you know because it was just that one of those really nice environments that we're in I'm just curious I want to know how it all worked together and you know it's just such a great career to be a part of because you learn so many skills that I think it's very difficult to learn in any other industry I mean if we just take a restaurant example you know whether you're working front of house or back of house the amount of communication that you have to learn between the two teams or uh, listening to the guests, understanding, okay, how, how are they doing with their food? Can we order the next round? You know, what's going on? And just being, having that awareness, it mm -hmm. heightened awareness, I would say, is, is a critical skill that I think is hard to find in, in other industries. Absolutely. And I think that what you touched on about Thailand is that this sense of hospitality is innate within Thai people and within the culture of, of this area. And I think that that really brings a natural enthusiasm to this industry, which 
people from all over can feel when they visit Thailand. And I think that when working with a country like Switzerland that has an established educational system offering uh, these different avenues for students, they, with their programs, the way that they design it, allow students to really immerse themselves within um, the different aspects of the hotel industry so that the graduates coming from places like La Roche and AIM are able to understand the big picture of hospitality in order to bring more awareness and empathy into the industry as leaders. Because if you don't know what it's like to be a housekeeper, then you can't empathize with what it feels like to clean 10 rooms in a day. So our students um, at La Roche and at AIM have to go in and to make up, you know, these rooms um, and to, to know what it's really like within their week of immersive housekeeping. So the difference between us and La Roche is that La Roche purpose-built campus for their students to learn, whereas we put our students into the actual hotel. Mm. So our students will be serving real guests from day one um, in the restaurants, um, in the rooms, um, at events. And that really gives them, you know, right away a perspective of what it's like to work into the industry, but also I think that you can have a dream and then you have to put it into practice and see if it's truly what you want. So I encourage our students to change their minds as many times as they'd like. They could come in, like one student had a dream, I'm gonna be an F&B, that's all I wanna do. And then by the end of the, the first semester, he said, I think I wanna try front office. Mm. So changing your mind and having big dreams is, is exactly what we want our students to do here. And I think that's also the beauty of hospitality is that you can stay within hospitality, but you can have such a variety of careers as well, right? Like I also thought I was gonna do F&B all the way and guess what? I ended up in, in revenue management and data and STR and, and a completely different <laughs> um, career in the end. Um, but you know, you can still stay within hospitality. I mean, I think with all the stories that I've been sharing is just to showcase the variety of career paths that you can have once you get into hospitality. Or maybe you can also recognize that it's not for you. I mean, I think the purpose of these immersive programs or going into the hotels and, and working, which to be honest is, is a great plus, is you you know whether it is for you or not. I remember on our first day we started, we were like maybe around 300 students and they said to us on, on day one, they said, look around you, you're going to be half by the time you graduate. What are you talking about? I don't believe you. <laughs> but by the time you do your first, you know, practical semester, then your first internships and second internships, people kind of figure out whether this is really what they want to do or, you know, different things come up. So, yeah, we were about 150 by the time we graduated. It's very, it's very uh intense program it can be very intense so it's, it's it's interesting to hear how that unfolded for you <laughs> and um you said earlier that when you were looking for something back in thailand you know you kind of reached out to your network that you had established the first time around tell me a little bit about yeah networking the importance of it and kind of how you how you went about it so for me, I don't think that I network um, in the traditional way. I'm very much a person who's present with people when I'm in front of them. So I really value in-person connections. So when I'm with someone, I, I make sure that I'm fully engaged with what they're saying. And when I ask you, how is your day? I really mean it. Mm -hmm. I'm not just saying it to be polite and, and keep walking. I really want to, to know how people are and to check in on them. Um, so I think that, that that has aided me in in where I am today because I genuinely truly care about people and when they feel that they generally truly care about you. Um, so for example, when I first started my first internship, um, 
I arrived and within a few weeks, I was taken on my first ever site inspection. So I got to see all these beautiful hotels on the island. And the person who took me on that site inspection, Kun Pawani, um, was really influential in how I viewed the hospitality industry and the, the possibilities because she showed me beyond what I was doing, all the possibilities and, and beauty that is available for us in this industry. Fast forward uh, 12 years later, our first student that comes to the school um, is actually her niece, uh, Pira. Oh. So, you know, I think that when we think about building a network, we're, I don't look at it as a short-term relationship. I look at it as a very long-term relationship and I never expect that what I give is going to come back to me. So I say to my students, you know, and they say, okay, what can I do for you? You were so helpful. I said, pay it forward, you know, be kind to the next person. Remember the way in which I was patient with you when you were learning and be patient in that way when you're teaching someone else. That's, I think, the best way to build a network is to, to know and expect that you won't get the same from those who you received from. You have to continue to pay it forward. Mm. So I'm, I'm always um, encouraging kindness for my students in that way. That's a really nice way of looking at it. And actually, you're probably the first person who's talked about networking in this way. And I've spoken to about, uh, what, 130 plus uh, <laughs> uh, women and counting. Um, and I mean, everyone agrees that networking is important, but it varies from being like, I'm petrified of it to like, I, I didn't know how to go about it to like, it's really important, you know, because you never know, you know, where that's going to go and things like that. But I, I really like the way that you described it as like being present and paying it forward because you never know, um, you may not get necessarily something out of that relationship, but somebody else might. Or, mm -hmm. you know, the way that you experience that moment, make sure that you can carry on and give that forward and that kindness. And it, it makes networking less scary, I think, in that, if you mm. look at it that way, because then it's just about, okay, look, it's about getting to know somebody, like really getting to know somebody and then, you know, continuing to build that. And then who knows? Yeah, 12 years later, you're like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I find <a> it <laughs> It did come. <laughs> and the hospitality industry is surprisingly small. Even for being such yes. a large industry, it's surprisingly small. And there's always a connection. I mean, I, <laughs> I met someone when I was in Bangkok at a dinner. And then, yeah, a week later, we found out that she was neighbors with one of my former classmates from when Amazing. I went to hotel school, you know? So it's just like, like, I mean, I had no idea that they were connected. They didn't know we were connected. And it just, yeah, somehow you find that connection as well in the end. That's incredible. I wanted to share a piece of advice that I give to my students. So I, I, I take this from Mel Robbins. Uh, so she has a book called The Five Second Rule. And it's not when you drop your food on the ground. Um, it's, that, it's that when you are trying to create a new habit, that you count down um, from five, five, four, three, two, one, and then you you go. So, for example, in networking, I I'm also I I'm a person who is is extroverted or introverted depending on the situation. And networking <laughs> spaces where there's a lot of people can make me quite nervous. So when my brain sees a person and says, "Oh, you should get to know them," before I even question it, I say five, four, three, two, one, and I walk towards them and say hello because I don't let my fear stop me from, from going to do that, even though it's gonna be there. It's gonna be there no matter what. And so one of the things that our Dean always says to our students is that the emotion of excitement is gonna feel like fear in your body and you can name it fear or you can name it excitement. Mm. And whichever one you're going to, to call it is, is what's going to be what's 
manifested through you. So whenever you're feeling scared, just remind yourself that you're actually feeling excited because when you're excited, it means that you care about what you're doing. Absolutely. And another quote that I, I, I often go by is feel the fear and do it anyway. Because yes. you know what, the reality is fear is just never going to go away. Like you can wait yep. for it to go away and it will never go away. And yeah, that mm -hmm. Mel Robbins five second rule, again, is another brilliant one that I will use from time to time as well. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about culture and um, especially, you know, let's talk about the Asian culture, you know, things like that comes up a lot is, you know, they, they don't like, to, like some stereotypes and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. And, you know, I'm not saying it's necessarily true, but obviously this is something that comes up a lot, you know, being reserved or not wanting to speak up or, you know, very sort of that subservient mindset, which in a way plays well in hospitality, but then again, not. So it's, you know, how do you do that? And then also, also for women, as you're kind of trying to get through your career that often then ends up being a barrier, right? Not speaking up, not asking for what you want. Some of the things that I've been finding over the last, well, I've seen that in myself, but I've also hear, heard, hearing it from everywhere and in all the research is that women are just not good at advocating for themselves when it comes to career development. So then how does, you know, culture play a role into that? And what have you seen, you know, throughout your time in Thailand and also with the students that you're working with? Well, that's a great question. I'm, I'm very fortunate to be part of an organization that encourages people to uh, act quickly, fail and move on. Um, so I've applied for things that are way outside of my remit. Um, and I've been told politely, I'm sorry, you're not ready for that yet. But I still keep going in and saying, you know, I'm ready for more. I want to have you know, these experiences and, and being told no is much better than not having taken the chance. So I encourage our students to do this. And yes, uh, in the beginning, they are more reserved. They don't want to ask questions. Uh, they don't want to, um, you know, as you said, advocate for what they want. So our first day on campus is starting with, here's why you need to ask questions. Um, here's the importance of it. And actually you asking a question is going to benefit your fellow peers. So I do, a, I do something at the end of our um, induction week where I ask the students to close their eyes and I said, raise your hand if someone asked a question that you also had, but that you didn't ask. And I open their eyes and I would say 95% of the students have their hands raised. Mm. So I say, see, look, you know, yes, we, we might be nervous to ask a question, but if you can change your mindset that you're actually helping your, your entire community to learn, then I think it gives them a bit more empowerment. But I also start small. So putting your hand up and asking a question. I know that we can all probably remember that pounding feeling in our heart where we're like, oh my God, the teacher's going to call on me. So I start smaller. I ask them to write their questions on a post-it mm. and put it on the board. And the next day I ask them to write questions on a post-it and hold it and read it. There is nothing wrong with holding on to something to give you more confidence. And then slowly day by day, they start to put the post-its down. They start to be able to ask questions and they start to know that they're in a safe space to ask questions, make mistakes and, and fail. That's essentially what we're providing for them is, is a space to, to be uncomfortable and to grow comfortable being uncomfortable. And what about for yourself? Did you find it easy to ask questions and advocate for yourself? Um, I think that I've always had a certain expectation of, of those around me, that if I'm bringing my best self, I expect those around me to bring their best selves. So I've never been afraid of asking for what I need, um, but I have been nervous to communicate. So a funny story I would always tell my students is that when I first started 
um, learning how to public speak, I even in regular conversations, I would turn red, red like a tomato. And it doesn't happen anymore because I spent a year focusing on, on public speaking. And now again, full circle, I'm now teaching our public speaking executive course, which is launching in May. Um, so I know what it feels like to be incredibly nervous um, in, in these spaces. And so it's just, it's just about, as you said, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. I'm going to be scared every single step of the way. And I still am. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's part of our biology. Mm -hmm. It's not a reflection on me and, and my confidence level. It's just, it's what happens in my brain and I don't judge it. I just, there it is. It's fine. I remember when I first started public speaking, my cheeks would go really red mm. and I would feel it in my stomach. So I would just put a lot of extra blush on <laughs> when I was doing it's my makeup. It's supposed to be there. <laughs> so it's already red. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I mean, but I think, I mean, yeah. Public speaking is something that everyone's terrified of everyone. I mean, it's, it's just like the, the number one, most, the largest fear. So I think that, you know, when you start to do something like this, you just have to start small in a safe space and, and slowly branch out, um, widening your, your comfort zone. Um, that's the best way to do it. If you try to just jump in, you're like, I'm going to do a Ted talk. I never spoke in front of anyone. It's not going to work. We have to, we got to train for, for our big, our big, uh, things. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and any other learnings for yourself from your own sort of personal development through your career journey um, that you'd like to share? So one of the things that I always remind our students is that there are endless amounts of tools available. You can get them from me, you can get them from the internet, you can get them from your friends, but you need to see what tools work for you. So just because I tell you that you should try to plan your day and do time blocking or the Pomodoro technique where you set the time for 25 minutes and work nonstop, that might not work for you. You have to test it out. All of the best advice in the world is not going to work for the same person. So like when we see, you know, the CEOs of the world, here's their morning routine. That's great. But is that actually going to work for you? You got to find what works for you. And that takes time and effort and testing it out. And similarly with your hobbies, you can't expect that that your hobbies, you start something, it's gonna be what you like at first. So for me, I fell in love with painting. So behind me is uh, my paintings, ones that I've collaborated with my students. So I really encourage our students to remember that they're not just building their career, they're building their life. And the life that is well-rounded will keep you balanced. And if you're not balanced, you can't work as hard as you'd like to. So having a hobby is really important. So I make my, my students paint um, when they're in class with me. So this, this one behind me um, was a brief that I gave to them. I said, if you were to have a billboard in the middle of the city, what would you want to say to the world? Um, you can do it in your own way. So I have students that said, trust the process. Uh, let's start the journey. Um, count your rainbows, not your thunderstorms. So all of them are so inspiring and it's, it's intended to be like a, a physical LinkedIn. So where we can go online and we can connect. I want something where students who come to AIM can see, oh, here's who came before me and connect with them. So again, going back to the networking piece, um, remembering that people are not one dimensional. Don't just try to look at them for what they can give to you, but look at what you can give to them um, and share your goodness. I love that. That was really beautiful. Thank you, Samantha, for sharing that. Thank you, Mary. And with that inspirational thought, I'm going to move on to my final question and ask you, who inspires you? 
there's so many people that inspire me. Um, I'd say first and foremost is, is my family, my daughter, Joy, and my husband, James. So Joy has really awoken within me um, a creativity that I never fully realized that could be possible. So she makes me more patient and more creative and uh, wanting to explore more of the world. Um, and I have that same feeling with my students. You know, they, they doesn't matter what's happening in a day. If, if I spend five minutes with joy or five with, minutes with my students, it's turned around and great again. Um, so those who I, I get to, to collaborate in, in my life with are the ones who are the most inspiring. And, and of course, you, Noreen, and doing what you're doing to support women. So thank you. Thank you so much, Samantha. And thank you so much uh, for sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were as inspired as I was by that story. Please follow us here and on LinkedIn where I post videos of the recordings. Stay tuned for many more stories of inspiring women in hospitality.